Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture this morning is from Revelation 13, verses 15 through 18. Be reading from the New King James Version. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. You may be seated. We had a real good week this last week with Kendall Brewer and Brock Ray putting on Christ in baptism and being forgiven of their sins. God is good. And all the time. In the 1970s, there was a fellow by the name of Hal Lindsley, and he wrote a book that was a huge seller entitled The Late Great Planet Earth. Now he quote unquote prophesied, or at least believed that In the 70s, the Antichrist would come and the rapture in the 80s. Those are words that are familiar to some of us, but not to everyone. So uh, I'll probably have a sermon about the Antichrist and the rapture in the coming weeks. Nevertheless, uh, many people picked up on his train of thought and perpetuated it. There's a best-selling series called the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, and they kind of follow this same line of thought that Hal Lindsley had, and, or Hal Lindsley. And so from that time onward, people are looking at things in society, in politics, and various other sectors to try and assign to them, oh, this is the mark of the beast, this is the Antichrist, or whatever the case is. In 1973, barcodes were invented and placed on products and goods. And many thought that barcodes were the mark of the beast. Now, for the kids, before there were barcodes, the cashier would take each item and enter its price. So obviously barcodes made things a little bit quicker in that all you had to do is just run it across that little scanner and doot, doot, as opposed to Of course, the old cashiers or cash registers, if you saw them, you know, it had a a lever that you'd have to pull down. But anyway, you you can do that historical research. So with with this change with barcodes, many said that's the mark of the beast. Then radio frequency identification technology, which is used in credit cards, cars, and microchips. Many people said that is the mark of the beast. Well, the next thing they said was the mark of the beast is cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin, if you've ever heard of that. And lately, the mark of the beast has been the COVID-19 vaccine. 
So we've got lots of mark of beasts, but would the Christians of the first century have ever thought of anything such as a barcode or a radio frequency technology or cryptocurrency? You notice a lot of these have to do with advancing technology. When I read Revelation 13 and Revelation as a whole, I want to try and read it as if I were a first century Christian. And a part of that entails me knowing kind of the conditions and things that were happening around that time. Now, when you turn to Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10, you have the mention of two beasts. The first beast is in 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his ten horns ten crowns and on his head a blasphemous name. You look at verse 11, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So you have two different beasts, okay? So when you get to the mark of the beast down at the end of chapter 13, it's speaking, John is speaking with reference to the second beast. And one of the things you know is if you back up a little bit to chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, these beasts seem to be allies with Satan. Chapter 12, verse 7 says, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they didn't prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So whenever you read Revelation and you read about the dragon, just remember chapter 12 that John has told us who this dragon is. Okay? So anytime the dragon comes up, that gives you a little bit of insight. Now you can go along and you can make various other points and interpretations, and sometimes Scripture is its best interpreter as opposed to a commentary or a preacher. But in chapter 17, verses 9 through 11, the heads of this beast, they're referred to as, as kings. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has yet to come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. All right. Clear as mud? Everybody good and confused right now? There's a lot of stuff, isn't it? Uh, one of the things that many believe, and I've read, the, the, the first beast received a mortal wound, and some have suggested this may have been the instability of the Roman crown, because when the Emperor Nero died, you had a little bit of a civil war afterwards. And however, when Vespasian came, to be Caesar, then things kind of settled back out. Whether you agree with that or have a different take is, is well and fine. But this number, this mark of this beast has often been used by many to suggest that John had in mind the Emperor Nero. And even Dio Chrysostom, who was a first century philosopher, he says even now everyone wishes that he, Nero, were alive and most believe that he is. So Nero, uh, I'd point out, uh, just to refresh your Roman history, he did persecute Christians, but he only persecuted Christians in Rome. There's 
really no detail that he went outside of Rome to persecute believers in Christ. And we got to remember, this is written to seven churches in Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today. So look again at chapter 13 with me, verse 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the beast, the image of the beast to be killed. In the first and second centuries, you, you have to think of the, the, the religious landscape of Rome, right? You had various tiers of gods. You had the Olympian gods, right? Zeus, Apollo, Poseidon, and various others, Hades. Then you might have your more localized gods, like for the city of Rome, or for a province or a city. And then you might have, let's say you belong to a trade. Say that you were a smith or a metal worker. Well, that profession has a god that you would worship as a part of being a part of that profession. Then you might go home and in a corner of your house, you have this little shrine with all these little idols because those are your ancestral gods. Now, the one thing that Rome had in addition to all the, and by the way, they, you know, if you wanted to worship another god, it wasn't seen as a bad thing. You just added that to the god you were already worshiping. When Julius Caesar, of course, this, what was it, last week was March 15th, wasn't it? The Ides of March. And I always have to throw out my one Ides of March joke, and that is, you can make any salad a Caesar salad if you stab it enough times. I know, dad jokes. But anyway, after Julius Caesar was assassinated in the Senate, and of course his great nephew, Octavian, became Caesar Augustus. Now we read about him in Luke, that's when Jesus was born. There were years of a civil war. Octavian ended that, he became Caesar, and he went by the name Augustus. Well, he had, and the Senate voted on this, and they deified Julius Caesar so that all throughout the Roman Empire, you would have these temples and these shrines built with the image of Julius Caesar. Then as subsequent Caesars died, some of them were deified by the Senate. And they would take a vote and they'd say, yes, they're deified. Now, in addition to all the other gods that you worshiped in Rome, now you get to worship the image of Caesar, be it Julius Caesar, uh, Nero, or Augustus, Domitian, whatever the case is. But now for the Christians, they worship nobody but Jesus Christ. But there's a problem with that. If you belong to a trade guild, we read about a lady in the book of Acts whose name I believe was Lydia. She was a dyer of garments. She worked in the dye industry. So she'd get a garment and she'd plunge that thing into a vat of, uh, of a colored dye, probably purple or scarlet, because those were very popular colors, especially for people of the aristocracy. Well, the dyers of garments belong to a trade guild, or we might think of a labor union, something kind of like that. And in order to be in good standing with the guild, you had to worship that God. So if you didn't worship that God or goddess, guess what? You didn't get to transact business. Same thing with many of the small towns and the cities and the provinces. 
if you did not worship the image of Caesar, which the Christians never would have done, it was almost as if you were marked out. And archaeologists have actually uncovered that there were actually documents that were given to show that, yes, they had worshipped the emperor or they had paid homage to the emperor. So when I think about the first century, if I lived in the first century, barcodes don't mean a thing to me. Neither does cryptocurrency. Neither does the coronavirus vaccine. What they would have seen and what they would have known then and there and probably associated with this was worship of Caesar. And this was all throughout the empire. And there were actually people that enforced it. They were called the concilia or the concilium in whatever their locations were. So this beast, the, 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 some have said the first beast in chapter 13, one is Rome. The second beast beginning in chapter 11 may have been the concilia, that is the, the enforcing body of image worship or uh, Caesarean worship. So he has the power, verse 15, to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the beast to be killed. Now, can you imagine living in a place where if you don't worship, you could be in danger? I mean, here in America, we, you know, hey, freedom of religion. And guess what? A lot of people don't have it because that's their freedom to do so. And the reason that our founding fathers gave us that freedom was because before the Revolutionary War, guess what? If you didn't go to church, you were fined. We want to revive that? Maybe we'd have more pews filled. If you don't go to church, you got to pay a tax. People be like, some folks, but I'll just pay, right? But what if the governor came out or the president or somebody said, I'm going to give a tax break to every churchgoer. We couldn't hold the people in, could we? Right? Money talks. It often talks. And, and when you keep reading here, he causes all, both sm small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the beast, excuse me, the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So here's the temptation for those Christians. You want to put food on the table? You got to have the mark of the beast. You want to feed, house, and clothe your family? You got to have the mark of the beast. So, if you're a Christian conflicted, I, I really want to take care of my family. I want to feed them. I want to care for them. I want to house them. I want to clothe them and give them food. But here's what I'm up against. So the reason that John points this out is because he's, he's telling them, he's like, you know, you do have to make a choice. And sometimes making the choice comes with its consequences. Now, Roman slaves and disobedient soldiers often received marks on their hands or their foreheads, and this often denoted that they belonged to a specific God. But what's important here is you can't just read one isolated passage in Revelation and go, oh, I've got it figured out. But what we have to do is remember that the mark of the beast is a counterpart 
to chapter 7 where God seals the faithful. S-E-A-L. Apparently I'm a slide behind maybe. As anything's possible with me. There's just no telling. Well, you have a couple of passages. Revelation 7.3 Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. So on, and back chapters ago, God is saying, you know, let's make sure that the faithful are marked out. And, and there's a good precedence for this all the way back from Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. So you have the mark of the beast so that you can transact business, or you have the seal of God to show that you're his. So th th there's the thing. Now, one of the best commentaries I've read on Revelation is uh, by Jim McGuigan. He's an Irish uh, brother in Christ. His brother-in-law, Jackie Martin, was my childhood preacher growing up, and he had a very thick Irish accent. So if you ever have trouble understanding people, holler at me. I, I was able to decipher an Irish accent for years, so I may be able to understand. But Jim McGuigan, he wrote his commentary on Revelation, and he makes a point of it that I think is important to remember. He said, when you go to a gallery and you look at a painting, you look at the painting as a whole and you take it in. He said, you don't focus on individual brush strokes. And so the fault that a lot of people have with this book, which is in itself hard to interpret to begin with, is they want to pick out the brush strokes and they don't look at the picture as a whole. So when you take it as a whole, you're going to compare it with previous passages. But here's the undeniable truth. A lot of times we're willing to be faithful until we're forced to make a very difficult decision. And in their case, the decision was to transact business, to engage in commerce. So you might see where it would have been hard. Some people might say, well, I'd rather starve than... And that takes a lot of conviction. But here's the point that I really want to make in closing. Uh, first of all, just to put it very clear, the mark of the beast has nothing to do with stuff today. It had a lot to do with then. And it's something they understood, and it was a message of hope and encouragement that they needed. We can learn from that. But to go around pointing out things, go, there's the mark of the beast, there's the mark of the beast. Everyone that points out something, how many of them have ever been right? I don't know when it was in the first decade of the 2000s, 21st century. Man, you know kids, when they refer to a lot of us, they go, they were born in the late 1900s. Doesn't that make you sound old, Kenneth? I think it does. <laughs> so I heard a kid say that, yeah, my dad was born in the late 1900s. Oh, well, in the first decade of the 21st century, there was some other preacher who was talking about the end times was upon him, this, that, and the other. And in Springfield, Tennessee, where we live, there was this guy who owned a, uh, it was like a lawnmower shop, small engine repair. This is not a joke. This is real stuff. This guy sold his business 
because he believed the Lord was coming according to this preaching. <laughs> well, when the time came and passed, you know the big billboards on the side of the road? <laughs> the guy had reopened his business and he had put a billboard sign up and he said, we are now open once again, Jesus didn't come. Okay. But I thought, what's the good of selling your business if Jesus is coming anyway? What, what point does that serve? But the point is that throughout centuries, especially throughout uh, the last several decades, people are always looking for the end times. Ooh, the end times. Jesus himself said he doesn't know when it's going to be. He said the angels don't know when it's going to be. Only the Father. So let me tell you, how in the world can Jesus say, I don't know, the angels don't know, only God knows, but yet somebody on earth takes the Bible and says, I got it figured out. It doesn't make a lick of sense. I cannot know something greater than what Christ knows. But yet people think, well, if I read this and if I study that, I'll nail it on the head. Here's the thing that you and I need to worry most about. Not the mark of the beast or the sealing of the faithful. We need to make sure that we as Christians are the ones who have the seal of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's the seal that we have to be more concerned with. Do I have the seal of the Holy Spirit? Have I obeyed the gospel? Have I repented of my sins? Have I confessed Christ as my Lord? Have I put on Jesus in baptism? and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what I need to be more concerned with than all this other stuff. It's important to know, especially because of how it may have encouraged the Christians and the saints back then. But as far as today goes, this is really what's most important. So now that spring has sprung, some of y'all have already started planning a vacation. Spring break's not too far away. Some of you, boy, I can't wait to get to the beach. And some of you are thinking about summer. Some are thinking about fall break and whenever else that you'll take your vacations. So as you plan that, you're going to get your place. You'll make all your arrangements. And the one thing that would be nice would be to be assured that you'll reach your destination safely. But maybe whenever you go, and whenever you travel, you may run through a thunderstorm, or you may have a flat tire, or you may get caught in some slow traffic because of construction or a wreck. Sometimes the journey is a little bumpy, but it doesn't matter as long as we reach the destination. And we have been given this assurance by the Holy Spirit that God has given us as our seal. God knows who are His. I thought one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen was two shepherds had their flocks 
intermingling. Not really. They didn't force them to do it. They were just talking and the flocks just naturally intermingled. But they were going separate directions. And so when the shepherds finished talking and whatever, they went each their way and they were both calling. Now that would have made me a nervous wreck. I'm thinking, man, I hope my sheep don't get mixed up in his. But as they go and they're calling, the sheep just begin to divide and part and, and go with their own shepherd. Reminded me of that passage where Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And they can do that. I, you know, that was really impressive. But no matter what obstacles come along the road to heaven, don't let it shake your confidence in God's promises. I don't know when it'll be. I can't tell you how it will come other than what Scripture says. And when the moment comes that I leave this world or the Lord comes first, that is an appointment that you and I can't reschedule. It's not something we can put off. It's not something we can bargain over. When that moment comes, what's most important is that I be ready, as best as a person can be. Nobody is perfect, especially any of us in here. None of us are perfect. Some of us are probably fortunate, however, to be preachers, elders, deacons, Bible study teachers. And it's not because we've lived an exemplary life our whole life, but it's because we know that we need God's grace. Someone said to me, well, they told me a story about someone According to their side of the story, someone had done them wrong in a business deal. And then they, they told me the person's name. I said, oh. And they said, do you know who they are? I do. How do you know them? <laughs> they go to Glendale. Well, how do you feel about somebody going to that church and they do like this? I said, you know what? This is exactly where they need to be. This whole notion that the church is supposed to be a place full of saints, which we are saints, but spotless sinners, it couldn't be further from the truth. The church is a hospital for the soul where we come to receive healing. And I'll tell you, if you ever think that certain people don't belong in here, you better start with me. If that's how we're going to judge... Start with the preacher and then look out. The great thing about God's grace is it's never earned. It's a gift. And what all these Christians were facing in the first century, God was gracious and merciful to them in their circumstances. But he also drew the line. He said, the faithful will be sealed. But then there were those who will bear the mark of the beast. So you look at the two camps and ask yourself the question, which do I want to be in? If I live then, if I want to be among the faithfully sealed then, be that now. We don't have to wait for hard times. All we have to do is just live faithfully. So if you want to begin living faithfully today, if you've never been saved before, 
obeyed the gospel, been baptized with Christ, confessed Him as your Lord. Today's a great day to do it. I, I love that this last week, it was Sunday between, you know, after morning services, and it was Friday afternoon. So the one thing I tell you is it doesn't have to be right now, but it can be. And I'd also say this isn't the only time that it can be done. Friday afternoon is just fine. Sunday after church, just fine. Just make sure that as 2 Timothy 2 says, the Lord knows those who are His. Just make sure you're His. Not anybody else's, just His. Let's stand and sing.